Good morning. Are you ready? Yes. I hope you know ready for what, what this question is about. We're going to talk about this question and what Jesus has to say about it in just a minute. But I, I feel compelled to mention a couple of things as we get started, almost like commercial. Well, first of all, uh, to all the visitors, thank you for coming. We appreciate you being here and, and hope you have already received a warm welcome. If you haven't, it's too late. We've messed up, so please forgive us. But I, ble- I bet you have gotten a warm welcome, and we're just glad to have you here. Secondly, I really want to thank Titus. He's doing his level best to teach us some new songs, and I really like the new songs, but it's a little awkward, isn't it? Uh, yet, we haven't quite got them down. I just keep reminding myself that Amazing Grace was once a new song, and people didn't know it, and they had to get used to it. But look at what Amazing Grace is now. So thank you, Titus. And that hairdo is just something else, isn't it? <laughs> like my brother-in-law used to say, looks like a groundhog peeping out from under a brush pile. But... <laughs> Did you hear that? He said if he was a real minister, he'd be bald. <laughs> oh, you got to love it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it, the kingdom of God is something else, isn't it? This is excellent. Speaking of something else, did I see Preston passing the emblems of the Lord's Supper? Didn't we just pray for him because he was in the emergency room last Sunday? And Well, he, he came back without his gallbladder, but he's here. Thank the Lord, brother. So glad to see you this morning. Glad to see that. Well, let's talk about this. By the way... Uh, This is going to be a very plain PowerPoint this morning, and I want you to open your Bibles because I'm not going to have all the passages that we're going to be looking at on the PowerPoint. I've got a bunch of them, got a lot of stuff on the PowerPoint. And uh, I also, I'm encouraged because uh, Charles has offered to help me put together PowerPoints. He knows quite a bit about that, and I haven't quite taken him up on that offer yet. But I'm, I'm looking forward to taking him up on that so I can produce some better PowerPoints, but also so I can blame him if things don't come out right. <laughs> but here, here we go. This lesson about what Jesus says about the final coming. I don't say the second coming. It's not wrong to say second coming. But I like to impress on people when Jesus comes back the next time, this is it. This is the final coming. No more No more after this one. So what did Jesus say about the final coming? Well, let's start with what John said, because John came to prepare the way for Jesus. And that's what Jake read for us a little bit ago, what John said. John's job was to prepare the way for Jesus. And John said when he saw, or it says of John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you offspring of vipers. That's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? You you bunch of snakes, that's what he's saying. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So before Jesus is even on the scene preaching the good news of the kingdom, John is there saying the very things that Jesus is going to be including in many of his lessons. Now this idea of of the wheat and the chaff, the uh, the winnowing fork, 
A winnowing fork is kind of like a rake turned upside down. It's a big fork thing. And you would take a pile of wheat, and wheat is harvested in the husk. And it's kind of loose in there, but it's not quite, quite turned loose. So you take that winnowing fork, and you push it into that pile of wheat, and you throw it up into the air. And in the process of that, kind of roughly handling the wheat, the chaff, the husk, is separated from the wheat germ, and it's much lighter than the wheat germ. So you throw it up in the air, up into the wind. The wind carries the chaff away, and the wheat falls back down. What does the farmer do with the wheat? He gathers it into his barn because it has value. What does he do with the chaff? He burns it. This is a picture John gives us of the coming judgment. The wheat and the chaff. Now the thing is, you get to choose whether you are wheat or chaff. Every single one of us sitting here today has the opportunity, the power, the God-given right to make our choice whether we will be wheat in the judgment or chaff. Later on we'll talk about sheep and goats. And you get to choose whether you're in the sheep or whether you're in the goats. It's all a matter of choice of you and me. What did Jesus say about the final coming? Well, we talked about that, the wrath to come. John talks about the wrath to come. He talks about gathering wheat into the barn, and he talks about burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All these things are allusions to the final judgment that's coming. Now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Woo! This is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when you think of the Sermon on the Mount, don't you think of, oh, that's kind of a nice little thing that Jesus did. Some people like to think of it like that. But this is Jesus bearing down hard on, you better be careful how you treat your brothers and your sisters. This name calling, this assigning identity kind of a thing that we're into in our culture today. It's not good. Jesus says, don't call people fools. He doesn't say nobody is one, but he says, don't call them that. You need to harness your emotions towards others and be careful how you treat and how you speak to others. Because if we call someone a fool, Jesus is saying he's giving us this truth that treading on dangerous ground. The ground leads towards hell. The fiery hell. Now, I I know you were hoping that we would talk about some Greek words in this lesson. So I included some in this. When you're translating Greek to English, sometimes you come into some interesting situations. The Greek word hades, that's how it would be pronounced in Greek, I think. I haven't talked to any Greek people lately. But that's what it looks like in Greek with the Greek letters, hades. Hades is simply the realm of the dead. When you die, you go to hades, or we call it hades. When Jesus was talking about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16... Both of them died and went to Hades or Hades, the realm of the dead. It was separated. There was a place, part of that Hades world, Hadean realm was was torment, and part of it was a place of comfort. Lazarus died and went into the place of comfort, but it was Hades still. And the rich man died and went into torment, but it was still Hades, the Hadean realm. But there is another place 
referred to by the Greeks as Gehenna. This is the place of eternal torment, the eternal fire that Jesus will talk about. This is the place that he is continually talking about and warning us about, the Gehenna hell. Not the place of the dead, but the place of eternal damnation. And then there is the Greek Tartaru. The only time I believe it's used in Scripture is when Peter refers to it, but it's the deepest abyss of the eternal hell. So there's a little bit, I'm sure you're just hanging on to that, that information from the Greek language, but I want you to understand, sometimes, especially if you read the King James, sometimes you'll see the word hell, but it won't really be hell, fire, or hell, the eternal hell. It'll be the place of the dead. But that's mostly in the King James for King James readers. This is what Jesus focuses on. Jesus' topic of choice is Gehenna, warning us, don't let it happen that you go there. Jesus says this also a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye is causing you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Tear it out. Wow. That, that's pretty, pretty staunch and rigid, isn't it? Tear it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Does he really mean tear out your eye? I mean, here's the question you've got to ask in the first place. Will tearing out one of your eyes stop you from sinning? Won't work, will it? As bad as that sounds, that would really be a pretty easy way to stop sinning. He's, he's using what we call in the English language hyperbole, or what we call in West Virginia, hyperbole. <laughs> it, it's an over-exaggeration to make a point. He's saying hell is so bad, the eternal fire of hell is so bad that if your eye is causing you to sin, it's better for you if you tear your own eye out than to go to hell. That's what he's trying to get across to us, how important it is to avoid going to this place of torment. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. This doesn't mean when you see someone who only has one arm that they are sin-free people. That's not what that means. Jesus is just trying to make a point by exaggerating. And I hope you're able to understand that. Because if we don't tear out the eye, so to speak, or tear off or cut off our hand, we're going to be thrown into hell. And that is the worst that could happen to you. Jesus, still in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Talking about the judgment day. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? What else besides prophesying? Didn't we cast out demons? Wow. You cast out demons in the name of Jesus? In your name we perform many miracles? Wow, miracle performers. In the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. What's Jesus trying to get across to us? Don't be a disciple in word only. Don't say to yourself, you know, I go to church all the time. I'm good. Don't say to yourself, I've, I've had so many Lord's suppers. I've got my ticket punched. The way to be a disciple is day in, day out faithfulness. Just like you are faithful as a husband or a wife. That's what faithfulness is, isn't it? The only way to be faithful is over time. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You be faithful so that when that final day comes and you say to me, Lord, Lord, I'm going to know who you, who you are. Matthew chapter 8. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now if you go to Matthew chapter 8 and you read the context of what's happening here, this is a very fascinating situation. There is a centurion who comes to Jesus on behalf of someone he loves. And Jesus says, I will, I will come and I'll take care of your loved one. And the centurion says, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy for that. All you have to do is say the word and I know everything will be all right. And, and you know what Jesus does? He marvels. This Gentile, this Roman centurion marveled or caused Jesus to marvel by his faith. And that's why Jesus says what he says. Because he's among his own people. By the way, how does John start his gospel? One of the first things John says is, he came to his own and what happened? His own received him not, by and large. By the way, what did his own do to him at the end of three years of ministry? At the end of three years of giving sight to the blind, at the end of three years of giving legs back to the lame, at the end of three years of casting out demons and giving their voice back to those who couldn't speak and hearing to those who couldn't hear and raising the dead even after three years of that kind of ministry, not even counting the enlightenment that comes from, came from his teaching, they put him to death. But here's a Gentile that understands you and I need to be like this Gentile, like this Roman centurion who sees Jesus for what he really is in spite of what anybody else might say. And Jesus says, this guy gets it. But there are those who should make it who won't. And I like the way he puts it here. Going to recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now when Jesus says this, where were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They were dead. But did they cease to exist? You and I, living faithfully in Christ, will one day sit down at the table. I don't know if it'll be a potluck. We like those, don't we? But we're going to sit down at the table. We're going to share a meal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You got any questions? Write them down. Bring them with you. We're going to be doing that. That's what Jesus promises. Reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then there are going to be those who are thrown out into outer darkness. And there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever hurt so bad that you gnashed your teeth? You ground your teeth because it hurt so bad. That's why in, in the Western movies when somebody gets hurt and they're going to take the hot knife and dig the bullet out. You give them something to bite down on. Because if you don't, they might break their teeth. And this is what Jesus says is going to be going on in that place of eternal fire. Whoever doesn't receive you, he's sending his apostles out. This is the limited commission, sending them out into Israel. And it says, whoever doesn't receive you or listen to your words as you leave the house of that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that city. More tolerable for what lands? 
Sodom and Gomorrah? What did God do at Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember that, don't you? He burnt the place with fire. Sulfur, brimstone fell from the sky, and Sodom and Gomorrah are no more. That's how badly God wanted to punish Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus says, I'm here, I'm among you, I'm showing you who I am, and you're rejecting that. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Wow. More tolerable. You're going to get it worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Same chapter, same context. Jesus sending his apostles out on a limited commission, only to the house of Israel. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Well, now, wait a minute. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, is sending his apostles out to his own people. And he's concerned that some of them might be killed. Yeah. That was a very real threat. And he says, don't be worried about those who killed the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. Destroy both body and soul. Where? In hell, in Gehenna, in the eternal place of fire and death and destruction. Jesus is warning. He's encouraging them with this warning. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. How important is your body to you? I thought about showing you a picture of what I looked like when I was in my 20s. And say, do you know who that guy is? Because I don't think you'd recognize me. I looked nice back then. I have changed a lot. Now, the inside part of me has grown and it's matured and it's got, well, okay, within limits... It's gotten better. You know how that works, but the outside of me, look at the out. No, don't look at the outside of me. You know how much work I got to do in the morning just to make, keep myself from being too gross? Some of you can relate, right? Jesus is talking about our bodies being destroyed. Don't think too much of your body, but think enough of it that you don't want it to go to a place where it's going to be destroyed for eternity. Jesus will give you a glorified body as you're resurrected in Christ. And that glorified body will live on eternally. That's the body with which you'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the table. And you'll enjoy a meal together. Jesus is warning about these things because he doesn't want our body and soul to be destroyed in Gehenna, in the place of hell. Matthew chapter 11. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. You may not be familiar with Tyre and Sidon, but if you do a little research, you'll find out that those are places of exceptional wickedness that God punished prophetically. And you, Capernaum, Capernaum is where Jesus basically had his headquarters. You will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades, to the place of death. For if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Sodom, oh, we're back to Sodom again. Sodom would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Check it out again. More tolerable. 
more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't reject Jesus, whatever you do. Matthew chapter 12, I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. This is one of the most scary, is that the right way to say it? Scariest passage. You know what I'm saying. Every careless word I'm going to give an account of. Every, every, everyone, Lord. What's going to be my hope on judgment day for the careless words I've spoken? If I'm going to have to give an account for the only thing I'm going to be able to do on that day when I have to face all the stupid things I've said that I never should have said, the only thing I can do is look over to Jesus so that his blood would cover all my stupidity. That'll be my only hope. But what if I, what if I don't have Jesus? What if you don't have Jesus? What about those who were there on judgment who have to give an account for every careless word they've ever said and they don't have Jesus Christ? What will be their lot? Ethan, you've got Jesus Christ now. How about that? Put his Lord on in baptism. Ethan's going to stand there. And they'll be careless. I imagine a careless word or two here and there. Jesus will take care of it. He's Ethan's hope. He's my hope. He's your hope if you're in Christ. He's the only hope to cover these things. And Jesus is saying, you're going to face this thing, this stuff in the judgment. We are forewarned. But I tell you that for every careless word, oh, that one got in there accidentally. We'll just move on in. The men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation at the judgment and they'll condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You remember Nineveh? God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah was so happy to go. Oh, you remember that, that account, don't you? Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. In our vernacular, if you'll excuse the expression, we might say he hated their guts. That's, that's a pretty good way, I think, to put it. It's a little vulgar. But it expresses what was going on in Jonah's mind. Even, even after Jonah preached to them and they repented, Jonah went up on a hill because he was hoping God would wipe them out. And God asked Jonah, why are you angry? Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah tried to justify his anger towards God. When people repent, whoever it is, it's a great day. It's a great day because repentance... Saves me, saves you, saves anyone who repents from what Jesus is talking about here. And he says, in the day of judgment, the men of Nineveh who did repent will rise up in judgment over those who do not. And then he says, the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now those are two historical contexts. That are long gone. But today there is a historical context. Today there is more opportunity for people to hear and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ than there's ever been in the world. It's a click away on the internet. You want to learn about Jesus? You want to learn how to obey the gospel? You want to learn how to to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? Just a click away. The information is around us all over the place. And it's so simple, but so many still deny it.
Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is just full of parables, and so many of these parables talk about the end of the age. That's the phrase I wanted to, to bring to your attention at the beginning of this part of the lesson. At the end of the age, and I'm not exactly sure because I think it applies both ways. While Jesus was teaching, the end of the Jewish age was upon them. It was coming. It was about a generation away, and Jesus would say that. In A.D. 70, the Romans destroyed the temple at Jerusalem. And with the destruction of that temple, the priesthood was wiped out, and all of the records were wiped out. There was no way ever again that they would be able to reestablish the priesthood and the sacrificial system. So the end of that age was upon them. And Jesus, I believe, could well have been talking about the end of that age. But the same principle applies, because God works the same way all the time. He teaches us the way to live, and if we live that way, he blesses us. If we don't live that way, if we rebel, there's punishment. And the punishment is not because God wants the punishment. The punishment is the same as a parent punishing a child. You're trying to bring that child around to a right way to behave. And if the punishment's sufficient, the child learns, oh, I don't want to do that bad behavior anymore. I want to gravitate towards what's good. And that's what God is constantly trying to do, trying to teach us the right way to live. And he showed us how much he loved us. How? When you see Christ crucified, this is God coming down to our world and taking part in our pain and our difficulty. This is God taking part in the rejection that we sometimes feel in this life. This is God taking on death and dying in our place. God has done that Because he wants to save us from what Jesus keeps warning us about. This eternal place of fire and difficulty. And that's what these parables are all about. Jesus told the parable of the tares. This plant that was sown in among the wheat. And he says, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Then he later says, so shall it be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out of the wicked Or take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Going to be burned with fire, the tares are. There's going to be uh, a furnace of fire to be thrown into and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All this at the end of the age. Here I'm showing you how well I can do animations on a PowerPoint. I don't know what happened there. But I hope you get the point what Jesus is talking about. Does this look familiar? This is the passage Titus had us read together at the beginning of the lesson, or the beginning of our assembly this morning. Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now the reason the last part of this passage is all in in capitals is because he's quoting scripture. He's quoting from the Old Testament that this was a theme a consistent theme of the judgment that is coming. Same thing here in Matthew 18 that he's taught us before. If your hand or your foot is causing you to stumble, cut it off. He's he's, uh, bringing back this idea that it's more important to go through life crippled or maimed or blind. It's better to do that than to go to hell. Constantly teaching us that. Now here's an interesting thing. In Matthew 24... The disciples are asking Jesus about the temple. And he tells them, you see this great temple and all these marvelous huge stones that have been built up together. Not one stone's going to be on top of another in about a generation. 
It's all going to be torn down. So he talks to them about the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming in about 30, 39, 40 years. But he also talks about the final coming. And he says of that day, of the final coming, the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even who? Not even the angels know about it. Not even who else? Not even Jesus. Jesus says, I don't know when the Father's coming back the final time. When he's sending me back, he doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know. I don't know how he doesn't know because Jesus is God. But somehow Jesus says, I don't even know when that's going to happen. And if we didn't get that, look what he says just a couple of verses down. Be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And if we didn't get that second time, it says, this is a reason, for this reason you must also be ready for the Son of Man's coming in an hour when you don't think he will. Now when you turn on your television and you get one of those modern uh, televangelists on there, this is one of the themes that they want to come back to is the end of the age. And they want to tell you that they've studied prophecy and they've looked at everything Jesus said and everything the prophets have said and they know when Jesus is coming back. I think Jesus was pretty clear. That wasn't the point of anything he said. That wasn't the point of any of the prophets. Or Jesus would have said, you know, if you study the prophets and you get everything just right, you'll know when I'm coming back. And Jesus said, no, I don't even know when I'm coming back. That's for the Father to say. The angels don't know. And he repeats it. So there's no way to know when Jesus is coming back. So what are you supposed to do? Be ready. I remember Mrs. Woofter. Have I ever told you about Mrs. Woofter? She was my first and second grade teacher. She was a big woman. And this was back in the early 60s when you could paddle children who went to school. And if you got a paddling in school, guess what happened when you got home? You get smacked around when you got home. No, I don't mean abuse, but I mean that was the way it was back in those days. And sometimes Mrs. Woofter would leave the classroom. Can you imagine what would happen when Miss Woofter stayed out of the classroom for a while? And I think she did this on purpose sometimes. Like she'd just stand around the corner, just wait for children in her classroom to get a little rowdy. And there's, it always starts with one. There's always one. Don't be the one. You're probably giggling because you were the one, right? Whoever that was, I don't know. But things would get a little rowdy. Things would get a little out of hand. And then Miss Woofter would come through the door. Guess who was afraid? Everybody was afraid when Miss Woofter came through the door when we knew the class had been rowdy. Because there was going to be a price to pay. And this is what Jesus is talking about. There's a day and there's an hour coming and nobody knows when it is. And so you had better be ready all the time. And if we didn't get that, just a clear statement of it, he gives us three parables that teach this very thing. The parable number one is about the faithful and the unfaithful slaves. And he talks about giving these, uh, leaving the, the master going off and leaving his slaves in charge of things. And they don't know when he's coming back. And so uh, you have to decide whether you're going to be the faithful slave or the unfaithful slave. And if you're the unfaithful slave, you're going to get a whooping when he comes back. Second parable is about the ten virgins. They're waiting on the bridegroom to come for a wedding. Five of these virgins have oil. They're ready. Five do not. And they run out of oil. And the bridegroom comes back and they're not ready. And they're saying to the five wives that had preparation, give us some of your oil. And they said, we we can't give you any oil. We give you oil, we'll be out of oil. So they left to get oil. 
And when they came back, the door was shut and they missed out. What's Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us to be ready. You don't know when the bridegroom's coming. Always be ready. Parable number three was about the talents. Talents were money. Master left and he gave his servants a certain amount of money, each one according to his ability to use that money. And while he was gone, they were supposed to use it to, to gain something for their master. Two of them gained something and were rewarded. One of them did not and he was punished. He was thrown into outer darkness. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he gives us this account of judgment in chapter 25. God is on his throne and all nations are gathered before him. And they are separated out as sheep and goats. Goat are on the left and sheep are on the right. And he says to the sheep, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then he says to the goats, you're going to go to the eternal fire. And he's very careful to say, this eternal fire was not prepared for people. The eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. But it's there. It's a lake of fire, as he describes it. And it's waiting for all those who would rebel against God. When he has done so much, you see this beautiful, well, you can't see it right now because it's covered with the screen. But behind there is a, there's a beautiful aluminum cross that somebody's fashioned. The original, I'm sure, was not beautiful in the aesthetic sense. The only thing that made it beautiful is to see our Lord crucified on it, knowing that is our only hope of salvation. God taking our sin upon himself, becoming sin for us, that he might save us from this punishment that he is warning us about so fervently as he preaches and teaches. I want to close with this text from 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's talking about the final coming of God, and he says, The day of the Lord will come, how? Like a thief, just like Jesus said. Nobody knows. If you knew when the thief would come, you'd have your 12 gauge, you'd be sitting on the roof, you'd be ready. It's a good Christian thing to do. Well, okay, maybe not. But you wouldn't be taken unawares. You would be ready if you knew when the thief would come. But Jesus says, you don't know. And Peter says, Jesus is coming back like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be discovered. Now the word that he uses for earth there, it's an interesting word, it's the Greek word gay. Doesn't mean what we in our English vernacular today think of the word gay, but the word gay meant the planet itself. This big ball that we're standing on that's moving through space thousands of miles an hour. This planet is going to be burnt up. It's going to be dissolved. Not only the earth, but everything in the universe will be dissolved by fire. That's what Peter's saying. And so he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? There's a question. You know it's coming. Jesus warned us over and over and over. Nobody talked about hell more than Jesus. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which... The heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. This is coming. So we're back to the original question. What was the original question? Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not ready, I want to talk to you this morning. You don't have to come down this aisle if, if that's embarrassing or just, if you just want to talk to somebody, don't leave here today without talking to somebody. I don't care who you are, male, female, young, old, if, if you know that you are not ready and you need to do something about it, I want to talk to you. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. 
Titus is going to lead that one just as well as he's led all the rest. Brother, we appreciate you. Come up here and lead us in the invitation song. And if you need to respond, we're waiting for you. We're hoping for you. We're praying for you this morning. Let's stand and sing.